Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Michelle Wilson. Well, Kim and Michelle, it's so wonderful having you here with us. Do you want to tell a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm from Buckley, Washington. We, my husband and I have four children. I currently teach seminary and I'm excited to be here. And she does the early morning, which is real dedication. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's a great calling. I love it. Um, I live in Buckley, Washington as well. Kim and I have been in the same ward for 18 years. Yeah. Wow. And Christine and I have known each other for about 10 years. Yep. Um, I have, oh, fun news. My <laughs> second grandchild was born day before yesterday. Oh, congratulations. My grandma. I have three kids, but I'm a grandma, oh. so that's the best. Um, a little yeah. girl? Oh, well, this one's a boy. So it's Claire oh, and Arthur. Arthur. I know. And the pressure's off. Oh, so we're good boy now. Boy and a girl. Yeah, boy and a girl. Um, I am serving with the Relief Society right now and love teaching the gospel. I've done some writing and speaking. And yeah, just one of my favorite things is being with good people, talking oh, about the good news. It's so wonderful having you here. Oh, thank you. Did you want to say something? No. Nope. Okay. Great. <laughs> Great. Just double checking, making sure. Which is rare. I know. <laughs> well, we're going to be reading Galatians today and talking about it. And I thought it was fascinating to learn a little bit more about Galatia. So Galatia is in the center of modern Turkey. And a matter of fact, a lot of the epistles that we're going to be talking about are in modern Turkey. And the other thing that happened with a lot of these epistles that we're going to be talking about, it was during a time period which we've already talked about, but where Paul is in Rome in prison. And so realize that these are saints that he loves and that he knew from his missionary journeys. And we already talked about all of those amazing stories in Acts, and some of those we will revisit as we talk about these epistles, because it gives us the background of why Paul is talking to these people. But in this one specifically, Galatia had been Hellenized and then had become a major Roman province. The people still clung onto their old traditions, and this area was called Anatolia. And a matter of fact, even though they basically was, Greek was the language of the trade, which we talked about already, they still hung on to their old language, which to me kind of shows what kind of people they are. You know, they're holding on to the old traditions, even though the Greeks had conquered them, the Romans had conquered them, they're still holding on to their old traditions. So you can imagine here is an area of the world where you had Greek gods, you had Roman gods, you had old traditional gods, and Paul was worried about how these traditions were affecting them. And a matter of fact, where they were turning to, if you turn to Galatians chapter 1, right here in the beginning, he, you know, Paul explains why he's really worried. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon, I'm sorry, this is verse 6, that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As usual, Paul doesn't pull any punches. You know? <laughs> Black and white man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He says it like it is. But kind of our theme for our discussion today is that of being free from the bondage of sin, false traditions, prejudice, 
but also social injustice. And as I was thinking about this, I also thought of our own lives and how we also have all of these different gods that face us. And where are we turned towards? Are we turned towards the one true God or are other gods turning us away from the one true God? So I wanted to ask you, what are some of those gods in modern day society that turn us away, just like the Galatians are dealing with in their society? The first thing that comes to my mind is busyness. Oh, that's busy, the busy God. The, the busy God. The more you do, the more you feel accomplished, and the better you feel. And you find that sense of worth coming from this list instead of going back and finding it from God. So that's the first thing that popped wow. in my mind. And I was thinking the God of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I think they're the cousins. View. I do think they're cousins yeah. because you're trying to reach that perfection point or what you view other people as perfectionists. And then you try and create that as opposed to just following your own inspiration and walking your own path. Yeah. Yeah. I'm missing the mark. Hmm. One of the, what are some of those busyness things as well? I mean, in our families, we tend to get carried away with sporting events and activities and things like that. I mean, we get caught up in all of the various things we think we have to do and, you know, it it does take our focus away. Hmm. It's true. Well, Paul even does this interesting thing where he describes it as the weak and beggarly elements. And I love that phrase because I thought of that in terms of these other gods that come into our lives that take us away from the one true God. And these other gods are weak and beggarly. I mean, they are begging for our attention, but also they're beggarly in that they are definitely beneath the one true God. And so for me, as we think and ponder upon this, I think that that should be kind of our theme. How? What's the God that we turn to? What is the God that truly is number one in our lives? And hopefully it is the one true God, but it's something for us to think about. And along with that, we're talking a lot about how the law, and I'm here I'm talking about the new law, the new covenant, how does the law make us free? So I know, Christine, you were going to help us understand that a little bit better, because Paul is very strong about this subject with the Galatians. I did want to talk a little bit about Galatia. If you go to the map in the back of your Bible Mm -hmm. and you look for Thessalonica, you see the little town, you're like, woohoo! And you look for Philippi, and there's another one. But if you look for Galatia, there's no town town. because it's a province. And so the three, I always think of it as the tri-city area of um, Derby and Iconium and Lystra or Lystra, but I always say Lystra, even though that's what English say. So, well, say? and it is that whole center right, section. Right, but it's the three uh, cities the and those them. cities. Right. And the key with that is in Acts 14, you'll see that when he visited them, there were some really wild things that happened there. And the oh, biggest definitely. is that he went to Iconium, mm-hmm. then he goes to um, Lystra or Lystra, and when he gets there, the people from I- Iconium have kind of excited. It reminds me a lot of the early mobs, you know, have excited the Greeks to go attack him and they actually go and stone him. But it's the Jews that excite the Greeks because there are also many, many established synagogues there. So there is a large Jewish community in each of these three cities. 
And that's one of the problems where they are steeped in the traditional right. law, Absolutely the Old Testament the law. law. And, and that's so, the big right. problem. And so in Lystra, he is stoned to the point where they think he's dead. But he's really but not. But he's not. And then he goes to Derby and preaches at Derby. Right. Um, it, you think of him all bruised and battered, almost dead, and then and then preaching to the people at Derby and had enough people that, you know, they joined. Made a big many, difference. Right, made a huge difference. And you wonder if that that kind of power. So um, this... Doesn't that story remind you of Joseph Smith? So much of Joseph in, Smith. In terms of Joseph Smith, when where he, he would be tarred and feathered. And, feathered. And, he, and he had the lisp when he stood before and gave because that they tried beautiful to put the sermon, poison. just like Paul. And you wonder if understanding Paul was an example to him to be just that. So it, it this is Galatia. Mm-hmm. It's the place where the... The Jews had stoned him for preaching this new gospel. So you imagine that kind of anger and fervor, and they're living right in the middle of it, like the saints in Missouri and Zion's camp coming to save them. Well, and that goes along with my comment that I was talking about, about how they are very steeped in tradition. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if... Paul, Saul's past, what role that had to play in his understanding? Because now he's on the other side of the stones, right? Right, He's on the other side of the rocks. Absolutely. You know, um, and did that make him have a softer heart towards the people that were throwing the stones? Because at one point... He was doing the yeah. same thing. That's yeah. true. You know, because yeah. he, he, he doesn't yell at them. He yells no. at the people who have the greater knowledge. Like, why aren't right. you staying? Right. And yeah. those are the ones that he's like, guys, we have more. Right. What are you doing? So it's cute because he doesn't get mad at them because he's like, well, they're like me, but it's all good. But these ones who have the greater the knowledge, higher accountability, you can't go back. Yeah. So you had read where he says, I, I like, you know, I marvel that you've turned so quickly. Right. He also says... Um, Man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith. And so he talks again of the works of law are talking specifically about those law of Moses ordinances. And then he says that um, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And it's interesting that he calls these the yoke of bondage, this this past that he's pulling to. And um, like you were asking about other gods, that yoke of bondage where we hold on to past ideas or past views, do you see in our faith and in today's world yokes of bondage that we hold on to that kind of blind us from following a greater light? So what kind of things do you see? You mean like culturally within the church? Yes. Within... I see them. Well, we just recently at Mother's Day, that was a big one for me was sitting there and thinking, I need to let this yoke of bondage go where I have a concept of what life should be. And it really is about being consecrated to Christ and your inspiration is your inspiration. And, And I shouldn't pull people to a line of what I think they should be. It's their inspiration with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think we've heard that really clearly. And it's kind of going to that greater law. But you see the prophet kind of leading us to that greater law in many areas. Mm-hmm. So do you see other areas where we're kind of supposed to like let go? But don't you sometimes get sad that we're letting go of things? Well, Maybe what, you don't. Maybe I No, don't. no. There are some <laughs> things like three-hour church. I was a little sad to let go of that. And then this is a confession. Um, when we started transitioning from uh, a lecture type of Relief Society Sunday School right. lesson to, to more of the facilitating, that made me kind of sad because I wanted to go to class and 
someone teach me something really interesting. I didn't want to have to go and think. But I wanted so to go fun. and learn. You get so a really good that teacher go. and it's so entertaining and I fun. Know. And instead you'll have people that talk and you're like, just don't raise your hand. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Look That's over right. here. Look. That's true though. <laughs> but it, I've learned so much from the comments of other people and That's then true. facilitating a class comments. too. So to, you, you know, have to sift through and yeah. let your filter make up the difference. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we see too, as Paul is trying to convince these people to let go of the law of Moses, because that became a bondage to those people. All of the right. minutia, all the rules that they had to follow became, it became a form of bondage to those, mm -hmm. to those believers. And he's trying to get them to come to the new fulfilled law, right? Of, of Jesus Christ and to listen to the living apostles and people who will continue to guide them further along the path. But a modern example, the, for the strength of the youth pamphlet, we, Lost exactly. so many <laughs> clear-cut rules and regulations and things, and now we're we're being asked to follow the spirit more on that. But it is hard finding our our footing in that a little bit. And it's hard not to have a clean line that you can say, okay, if your skirt's above your knee, yes, or if you're yeah. under sixteen, and all those things, you're like, whoa, what? So it's great. Tell us what to do. You can't judge the I other know, person and, now. And then no one yeah. can rebel because yeah. there's nothing to rebel against. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's the same thing with visiting, teaching, and ministering. Yeah. Know. You know, when we went from that, here's what you do, here's the box, and then you check it, to it's actually about connecting with God and with the sisters. Absolutely. We like to be told what to do sometimes. I know. I just wanted to comment about the social injustice yes. part of this piece in terms of I think that sometimes we need to be careful in terms of the way that we are prejudiced about different peoples, different backgrounds, mm -hmm. even different countries, that you know, we, we need to be careful in terms of our judgment, you know, when right. we talk about justice, but also the way we help. You know, sometimes we, we throw money to the poor, but are we willing to open our arms to the poor? Are we willing to right. help educate the poor? Mm -hmm. And so thinking about those kinds of issues, too. It's absolutely. But, and I think as we talk about this, um, also yoke of bondage, the idea is, and, and um, Paul had said the point of the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Right. And so that idea that the way we release ourselves from this yoke of bondage and the way we release other people is we bring them to the savior. And if we're bringing them to the savior, that's good. That everything else is secondary and is not good if it pulls us away from the savior. So um, I thought of that talk by Elder Bednar about heed not what the wicked say, mm -hmm. because it, the things that pull us away, the noise the other things we listen to, the past that we think we knew and then gets yeah. shaken up and isn't quite that way anymore. But as we turn to the Lord and heed not those voices and turn to the Lord. And um, and I love that he said in that, um, that when Lehi and the people were partaking of the fruit of the tree, um, that they provide a strong example of not paying attention to mocking or scorn that so frequently come from the great and spacious building. And so we're going to have people that are going to say, oh, you're doing it wrong. Oh, it should be this way. And we have to just turn a deaf ear and know that our focus is on Christ, that even if things are different or uncomfortable as we turn to Christ and, and get that confirmation that we're, we're free of that yoke. Wonderful. Just trust. Well, the power of the law does make us free. And part of that law is also the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. Should we give a little bit of a background on that just to yeah, refresh? Sure, awesome. Sure. Okay. So this is from chapter eight of the Family History Manual. 
which can be found online. It says in that, in that he grew up in a family that had turned away from the gospel, but Abraham sought for the blessings of the fathers and the right whereunto he should be ordained to administer the same. The blessings he sought were those of the priesthood held by the heads of dispensations who preceded him, Adam, Enoch, and Noah, and their righteous posterity. Abraham received the priesthood from the prophet Melchizedek, and the Lord spoke to Abraham and established a covenant with him. This covenant is known as the Abrahamic covenant. So Abraham made covenants with God when he received the gospel, when he was ordained a high priest, and when he entered into celestial marriage. Uh, I like to look at these different blessings that he received, and I, I kind of like to identify them as the four Ps, kind of, but you can oh, call cute. them different things. Well, it makes it easier for me to remember, but the first one is a place or a, a property, the land of Canaan. Um, he was promised pos posterity, that his posterity would be numerous, and that it would extend into um, the, etern the eternities, that he would receive the priesthood, his seed or descendants would receive the gospel and bear the priesthood, and ultimately perfection, that through the ministry of his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed, even the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of life eternal. And what did he do? What did he have to do to receive those blessings? It says in Genesis 17, 1, the Lord commanded Abraham to walk before me and be thou perfect. The wonderful thing about these blessings is that anyone can receive these blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, even if he or she is not a literal descendant of Abraham, by obeying the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So that's and just that the was intro. an issue with these people. <laughs> yes. Because they, most of them, were literal descendants. They kept track of right. who they belonged to and their tribe. And then you've got all these Gentiles joining, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, what's happening? They can't what's be happening? part of the Abrahamic covenant because they weren't born into our family. Right. And so that was a big shift. Yeah, and going back to social justice and, and injustice, mm -hmm. I love that Paul makes a point of teaching to the Gentiles. He right. mentions them specifically many times. And, and he mentions the word unity a few times and how important it is that we all become part of the body of Christ with him at the head. So, yeah, should we share a little bit more, go into depth about those blessings at all? Um, we do know that they were lost for a time during the apostasy, but that through the restoration of Jesus, uh, um, that, well, that Joseph Smith brought back to us, it says here that um, the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, which are administered by the priesthood of God, were lost from the earth because of apostasy. Consequently, a restoration was required to once again offer these blessings to mankind. The Bible dictionary, which I love, I love, use all the time, mm -hmm. to fulfill the covenant God made with Abraham, having particular reference to the fact that the literal seed of his body would be entitled to all the blessings of the gospel. A number of specific and particular things must take place in the last days. The gospel must be restored the priesthood must be conferred again upon man. The keys of the sealing power must be given again to mortals. Israel must be gathered, and the Holy Ghost must be poured out among upon the Gentiles. All this has already taken place, or is in the process of fulfillment, which Paul also refers to the dispensation of the fullness of time. So, okay, can I ask a question? Time? So it used to always bug me, like, how does the Abrahamic covenant apply to the gospel? How do they work together? What what's the connection? What's the connection? Well, I mean, ultimately, I love this quote. This is by President Nelson, if I can share this. This helps a little bit. He says, I quote from a prophecy given nearly 600 years before Christ. Our father hath not spoken of our seed alone, but also of all the house of Israel, pointing to the covenant which should be fulfilled in the latter days, which covenant the Lord made with our father Abraham. Precisely as promised, the master appeared in these latter days to renew the Abrahamic covenant. To the prophet Joseph Smith, the Lord declared, Abraham received promises concerning his seed and of the fruit of his loins, from whose loins ye are, my servant Joseph, the promise is yours also, because you're of Abraham. And ultimately, these blessings are 
um, it says here, allow us to come forth. They are conferred, excuse me, in the holy temples. Mm -hmm. So um, these blessings come from the priesthood. We receive eternal um, progress and progression and and eventually perfection and posterity with our eternal families that will be patterned after Mm -hmm. our heavenly father's family. So I, I think they are realized in the temple today. And that is the key. That is the path to that Abrahamic covenant for us all to take part of. So I think, tell me if I'm wrong, because I always think like the Abrahamic covenant and the gospel are the same thing. They're intertwined. They're 100%. That's why we have everything is to be part of this family. And it's like Abraham to Adam to God. Like it's, yeah. it's, we go through that family. Through, yep. It's just right, the order through, through which family. it comes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So are, are they interchangeable? Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I think too, I have another question for you uh, all. And I would love Michelle to, to answer this because. No pressure. I know, no pressure. That's cool. But how does this law, this covenant make us free? Because oftentimes when we think of law, mm-hmm. we think of boundaries. We mm-hmm. think, oh, no, somebody's telling me what not to do. Is binding. Yes, yes, covenant yes. is binding. So what? how does this make us free? See, I love the idea of covenants, though. You know, we talk about the Abrahamic family, you know, and the gospel. It's all about family. And so they're definitely the same thing, right? I'm thinking Lilo and, and Stitch. So, <laughs> Lilo and Stitch. I, I'm oh, not going to do it right family. now, but I can totally oh, do no, a stitch voice. I will not. <laughs> Maybe we'll do the outtakes. Okay. Okay. I, would lo- I would love that. I would I'll love do it later. That. Sorry, so I just had tuned. to. I- um, but <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. Sorry, that was on purpose. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I was actually teaching a class about this once, and, and you guys may have heard this or seen it before, even used it yourself in teaching. But I drew a kite and I drew a string. And I said, okay, if, if you're holding on to the kite and the string, what's holding the kite down to the ground? Well, the string is. So a lot of people look at commandments or covenants like, wow, we can't, you know, we can't go any higher. We can't do any more. But really the power of covenants, and that's what we're talking about, right, is, is entering into an official relationship with Jesus Christ, wherein we can participate in those ordinances mm-hmm. that, that allow us to reach our greatest potential. That's what we're talking about, Right. Those covenants. So I ask him, what happens if you cut that string? Well, the kite might fly for a couple more seconds, but then it falls. The kite needs to be tethered to something beside itself, something grounded to fly. And that's how I think that we're made free through these covenants, is that we we have the freedom to stay afloat. We have the freedom to be healed. We have the freedom to um, be strengthened. We have the freedom to change, to allow the Spirit to change us. Well, I was driving down here. I was listening to the radio, and they had just had this new happiness uh, thing that came out of Columbia University, I think. Right. But it was surprising that people that have a religious foundation are often happier than those that don't. And I was surprised by that. And I was, well, not surprised, but I think it's the same thing, that they have that tether. They have that string that keeps them focused. But see, when I heard that story, when you asked that question, what holds them down? Mm -hmm. What, What keeps them? Gravity. Now, because I've used that same, but the thought with gravity was it's the power of God Mm, that keeps us tethered. And so even sometimes that power of God, even when people don't realize it, it also has power. It's still acting on them. But to soar, we do need that connection. We do need to have that connection. Right. And and it is so important the way our brains are wired. But the other part that the way our brains are wired is your four Ps. 
I think to know the prize mm -hmm. and to have it be something you want. Yeah, and I think ultimately in the end, exaltation to be able to create worlds without end right. gives us freedom, whereas I was every just other. Giggle yeah. and say the first one is a land of your inheritance, and with housing prices the way oh. they are, like it's eternally we're going to be homeowners, <laughs> <laughs> even if we're just not now. <laughs> anyway, good but point. but also yes. your children, yes. just mm -hmm. a hug a bugger, you get a hug them forever, and grandchildren and great grandchildren, you yeah. just get to love them all, yeah. and they'll still be those connections. Well, along with that, I also wanted to, we always talk about the Joseph Smith translation. And yes, there is a Joseph Smith translation for Galatians 3, 19 through 20. <laughs> and this for me is also a really strong point when we're talking about the law and we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Now, Abraham understood the whole picture. He got the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Paul is trying to teach these people is that the old covenant, the covenant that came from Moses, was only part of the picture, that they really had to change their view of the gospel. And part of that understanding is they were so tethered, they were so focused on what Moses had said to them and what they thought Abraham was teaching, that basically Paul is saying, you don't get it. Moses and Abraham did, and I want you to understand that they had the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what they were trying to teach you. So this is what Galatians 3, 19 through 20 is trying to teach them in this Joseph Smith translation. And wherefore then the law was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made in the law given to Moses, who was ordained by the hand of angels to be a mediator of this first covenant or the law. Now, this mediator was not a mediator of the new covenant, but there is one mediator of the new covenant who is Christ, as it is written in the law concerning the promises made to Abraham and his seed. So he's bringing back to Abraham. Now, Christ is the mediator of life. For this is the promise, going back to the Abrahamic covenant, which God made unto Abraham. So I love that Joseph Smith translation because it really enables us to understand this connection mm -hmm. between the old law and they were misunderstanding that Moses was their mediator. <laughs> He's like, no, you know, instead you're, we have one mediator and that mediator right is the Savior, Jesus Christ. So I wanted to ask you, too, when we talk about this relationship of Jesus Christ, who is our mediator, why do you think we sometimes maybe get confused and have other thoughts of other mediators in our lives? Does anybody have any thoughts about that? Because they were obviously kind of missing the mark. You know, they were looking at Moses as their mediator with God, and they were looking at the law as their mediator with God. And Paul is saying, look, nope, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, and I, I do think, I don't think of someone as another mediator, but I do struggle with as we shift that higher law. Because mm -hmm. there's some lower laws that we're currently living, like the law of tithing. Mm 
And the higher law is law of consecration. And so when you hear that, you're like, am I ready to shift? Am I ready to move? Am I like living within those bounds and looking forward to it like the people in the Book of Mormon did with the law of Moses, where they looked at it as holding them back, excited to move forward. And sometimes I'm more like these Jews where I'm like, I'm good the way I am. (laughs) So I do think we have to prepare our hearts Mm -hmm. where we really love each other and can extend that love, you know, to the other people so that if we had to live in like a community where we're all together living as one that that I have those connections rather than being in my bubble, which is a very happy bubble. So does that make sense at all? That's yeah. <laughs> well, that's exactly what Paul talks about. Matter of fact, let's turn Our to 23. So this is Galatians 3. I'm, I'm going to be reading 23 to 25 because this is exactly this progression that you were talking about right. is the progression that Paul is very worried about in terms right. of these saints because they're kind of steeped. As I said, this is an area of the world that loves their traditions, and yeah. they do not they want, want to move. They don't want to move. <laughs> they don't want to give it up. And they said, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus. Now, I have a funny um, analogy to this because I was talking to my daughter, Hannah, and Hannah has twins. And these twins are almost three, and she's trying to potty train. <laughs> I know, so fun, right, with twins. And so her, it, she has a little boy and a little girl, you know, twins. The little girl, so this is, I call this my potty, potty training analogy for a schoolmaster. Um, so Nora got it. You know, she she just got it completely. But girls get it before boys. I know. It's just a thing. Well, it is a thing. But Theo, he just doesn't care. And he's such mm. a cutie. And he is adorable, but he just doesn't care. Mm. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought sometimes, you know, if we don't get it, if we're not willing to go to that next phase, then we're stuck in the potty phase. And we just we're stuck there and we don't care. And we won't move forward. And, but it's comfortable, and it's but it is easy. comfortable, and that's what and the Theo thing is, is. If you, you know, don't like, get potty trained, then on. you can go anywhere, and you never have to think about stopping and pulling down your pants. You just can go. So it is potty training. Sometimes, is tough. right? And, and moving you have to forward, show why, like moving mm-hmm. up in that level of connection to Christ and really listening to, you know, what He teaches you is hard. So I think that's Theo's problem because he's like, I don't get why this is going to help me. Which is, you know, again, the four P. Right. Why <laughs> is this going to make my life joy. better? Right. <laughs> we, so do you have any good... I know. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> see a theme. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a theme. But any other thoughts about what holds <laughs> us, not just potty training, but what holds us back from the schoolmaster going to the next level? Well, I think I think there's this inner resistance to personal accountability that some of us struggle with, you know, and again, going back to the programs, we, we love our programs, right? We like to, here's a structure, then do it because it makes us feel successful to, but to strip away those programs. And we um, have to look in our own You have to look to yourself. What's, what's the most important thing. And when something isn't definable, it's really difficult 
to achieve, we think. And so when, when you, when you again, not to, to belabor the whole visiting, teaching, ministering thing, but we talk a lot about ministering and Relief Society right now, when you strip away, it's here's the checklist, and you say, go and love. <laughs> People <laughs> go, I don't know how to do that. But the funny thing is we're already we've doing been, it, we've been right? But it's just taking that personal, account- personal accountability um, and then to figure out what do I want? And this is what I would do. I taught the seminary class before Kim took over, and I would tell the seminary kids, life is about figuring out what you want and what you're willing to do to get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really hard, just to figure out what we want. Because we want to be obedient, so you tell me what to do, and I'll do it, because we're good, obedient disciples. But when you take that element away, and then the Lord says, well, what do you want? You know, And I think that's the ultimate thing, is do we want you? And if we do, what are we willing to do to connect Well, I think it's really interesting in the Book of Mormon because we have a very similar issue that's happening. And yes, I'm going to to switch my scriptures here. But if we go to the Book of Mormon and see Nephi just before, this is the prophet Nephi just before the Savior's coming for the first coming. He's basically the other Nephi. So the other Nephi is the (laughs) Helaman Nephi, not the first Nephi. But um, this Nephi has the same, very much the same issue that Paul is dealing with, and that he's dealing with people that are so steeped in the old law that they're unable to understand what Jesus Christ and what this higher law is going to do for them. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, just like what Paul did, was he said he brought it back to Moses and Abraham, because these people are so focused on them, kind of like saying, well, look, this is the law that they lived, and what he's trying to teach them is, no, you don't get it. Abraham and Moses completely understood this greater law. Mm-hmm. They lived this greater law. Yeah, they didn't live the law of Moses. Right. <laughs> they Exactly. And that's exactly what he says. So if we go to Helaman you know, 8, and I'm going to be looking at just verse 18, and this is you know, Nephi, the way he's dealing with this exact same problem as Paul is in Galatians. He says, Yea, and behold, I say unto you, that Abraham not only knew of these things, but there were many before the days of Abraham who were called by the order of God, so we're talking the priesthood, mm-hmm. yea, even after the order of his son, which would be the Melchizedek priesthood, and this that it should be shown unto the people a great many thousand years before his coming, that even redemption should come unto them. So Abraham knew Abraham understood. And a matter of fact, if we go to Moses 6, this was an understanding from the very beginning in terms of Adam. And a matter of fact, this is the Savior himself teaching Adam the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is found in Moses 6, verse 52. And he, meaning Jesus Christ, or the Lord, said unto him, meaning Adam. So this is the Lord teaching Adam. If thou wilt turn unto me, and that's another reason why I love this verse, because it brings back that concept of turn. Where are you turned to? Turn unto me and hearken unto my voice and believe and repent of all thy transgressions and be baptized even in water in the name of mine only begotten Son, who is full of grace and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the only name which shall be given unto heaven, whereby salvation shall come unto the children of men. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, 
asking all things in his name, and whatsoever ye shall ask, it shall be given you. So right there, you have all five of the pieces of the doctrine of Christ, right there in one verse. And I think it's fascinating to see how the Lord, from the very beginning, we need to grow up. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the thing I feel like Paul's saying is, you know, you need to grow up in the Lord. You need to take the next step. And if you don't, you know, it's not going to be a happy ending. Your you know, we, we need be to halted. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's a, I love trust in the Lord. I love that expression so much. I think that it, there is just a natural tendency to want to resist change or progress or effort of any kind, but trusting in God that it will be better if we do, and we will end up better off than we were before. I mean, it is worth it. I, if you don't mind, if I share you through 1227, it's one of, of my all time favorites, going back to the Book of Mormon. If men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. But if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. And I just think that's so important to just trust that and have that faith that it's okay. And we may come to God and we may need to change a little bit or some of our weakness will be exposed, but it was given by him anyway. He knows it already. We may as well come to him and trust and have faith in him that he can help us make those strengths and we will end up better, better off afterwards. So why do you think it's important for us to also have a testimony that from the very beginning, from Adam, Abraham, Moses, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the foundation of what they were teaching as well. Why is that important for us as Latter-day Saints to have that same testimony? Do you have any thoughts on that? I always something. <laughs> you always have thoughts. <laughs> I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> but I was thinking um, it's because it's all one. Yeah. It's not different. And that's where we're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, our little piece, because there's these little groups, the little Church of Abraham when he's with his, you know, children and grandchildren, and and the Church of Adam when he's talking to his children that are being faithful and he's blessing them. And and you're like, each one of those pieces is the same gospel. We're saying the same things. We're trying to lift, we're combating new, like twisted, you know, uh, challenges, issues and problems, right, issues, right. but it's the same gospel and it's the same answers and it's the same spirit and the same Christ. Well, for me, it's the the continuity of truth, right? This is the same from Adam, but before Adam, in in the pre-mortal world, mm-hmm. it's the same. And it connects me to God knowing that the, the, the God that I pray to now, my Father in heaven, is the same Father that when, you know, who spoke in the council. And and Jesus Christ, the one that atoned for my sins here, is the same Jesus Christ that stood up and said, here am I, send me. And, and that somehow this has always been made available at different times here. And, and that the verse that you just read in Moses, one of the first words in that is such a key word, and it was if— and I love that. That's I have a couple of my favorite words, and if and nevertheless are two of them. And I'm going to talk about if a little bit, um, I think, on our next chat together. Mm. Um, but I just love the fact that we have agency. And I think, I think in some sense, you know, sometimes Satan's plan as a mom, I'll look at his plan and go, that was a good idea. <laughs> if you guys do what I say, you'll be happy. Trust me. But I love that God loves us enough and that he trusts us enough to level up. And this is what he's doing here. He's saying, you have all of these things. You have the four Ps. You have the kite. You have the connection, all the things that we've talked about. And it's been this way forever. And it makes me feel 
safe. It makes me feel trusted. It makes me feel strong. Um, but I think a lot of that just comes from the power of the covenants, you know, that we make mm-hmm. and keep. But I just love that continuity and that it stretched from before to now and then after. And so that helps me to feel connected with my kids and my grandkids and, mm. and moving forward. And yeah. Tomorrow. Well, and I love that because truth is not relative. I mean, that's what the example is, mm-hmm. is that it is eternal truth. Mm-hmm. I, I This is a quote by Bishop Waddell that he made. He said, whatever change in life circumstances, and I would like to say that's even, you know, periods of time. I mean, it can be where we are, but it could be, you know, 100 years ago or 100 years in the future. Whatever comes our way and whatever unexpected path we may have to travel, how we respond is a choice. Turning to the Savior and grasping his outstretched arm is always our best option. And I just want to say amen to that statement, because I think sometimes we feel like, oh, I can do it on my own. And I have such a strong testimony that, especially in today's world, we can't do it on our own. We have to have those covenants. We have to have that testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what is going to help us to be able to feel like, have that hope, have that charity, and have that faith. And that brings us to the fruits of the Spirit, which are some of those things that I was talking about, because um, that's kind of what Paul's also talking about is, so why do we do this? We do this for the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, I, you know, I love Paul. I've always nicknamed him my Bible boyfriend. Oh, I I love it. I love love that he's just energetic. I relate to him. Like, he gets excited. His voice rises. I know. Same thing with me. I'm a little overexcited (laughs) at times. Um, I just think he's, he's fantastic. And I love how immersive he is in his testimony. I mean, how many times does he talk about Jesus Christ being in us and us in him? He doesn't want to just walk by Jesus. He wants to be in Jesus and have Jesus in him. And I actually was thinking about that um, when I was taking the sacrament the other day. Literally, we're taking him in us. And I I love that Paul does that and what he wants these people that he loved, because didn't he serve there in Galatia for three years, right? Right. Well, in that whole area. In that whole area for three years. So he knew these people. He knew their names. He loved them. And he just wanted them. And the things that, so he talked a lot about being free, but he also had a really strong testimony of the Spirit. And so even in these first five chapters, he gives example about how the Spirit communicates, how it guides, it informs, it's a companion. He talked about his conversion through revelation, which is the Spirit, right? Um, He talks about how the Spirit strengthens testimonies. And it helps people when they're in their waiting places. So Paul knew the power of the Spirit, and he wanted them to feel the fruits of the Spirit. It just occurred to me that in the law of Moses, the Spirit wasn't part of it. It was all such an external law. It wasn't until Christ left. So this is new doctrine to them. Because they didn't necessarily need the Spirit because they were told what to do in everything. And they had these externals. And so it's like a new thing to have them reach inward, to have them actually listen. So this is all new doctrine with a new gospel. And they they had to learn how to recognize it. Right. And but I do want to make that. a little caveat because I do think that a lot of the people that lived the law did oh, understand the spirit. the spirit and but feel the spirit. But now the spirit is the guide. It's it's going to that higher law yeah. as opposed to before where they're all ex- it's an external law. Right. The but the spirit master. wasn't it's not surprised. This, it's right. Not so this is like yeah. like a new principle that they're teaching. So I love how Paul is writing to these people because 
he wrote responding to two things. One, he wanted to make sure that they knew who he was. And I love how Galatians chapter one, the first thing he does is, I am the Apostle Paul. Right, right. Reestablishing, <laughs> because there was some question about hard. that. Right. And the next thing he comes in, in chapter one, he's like, and Jesus Christ is your Savior. He establishes those two things. Um and I was thinking about, and I wanted to ask you guys, so during this time, you have these these saints, right, who had this testimony, but they're being taught other things, being pulled in other directions. How do you think they were feeling? Like if you were in their position and Paul was there for three years teaching and preaching, you feel this, he leaves, and then now you're hearing from maybe your cousin mm-hmm. <laughs> or the guy you work with or other preachers coming through. What do you think some of the things that, what do you think that they were feeling? Well, the struggle too is probably, is is when you admire those people. Yeah. And they're smart and they're well-to-do and you want to be more like them. Or you want, you're a pleaser and you want to be like, yes. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> not not <me>. you. Yeah. <laughs> I like, should be. I feel called out. <laughs> well, I would think that they'd be a little confused. So right. he's writing. Very confused. He's writing to people who are confused, maybe scared, maybe a little angry. And I think about some of our friends today who who are struggling, um, you know, when they have one foot in the church building and one foot out, oh. and and who are they listening to? And and um, I was chatting with a sweet friend of mine, who is in this transition, and these are all the things that she was feeling. Well, this person said this. What do I believe? I'm confused. I'm I'm scared. Um, and I love that his response to them to help with them their their confusion, their anger is. Here's the Spirit, and let me tell you about the Spirit. And so um, in verses 16 and 25 in chapter 5, I love, I love these two so verses. Fabulous. He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. So again, it's not enough just to, I want you to feel it, but I want you to walk in it. And then he says that again in 25. Um, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And so he's encouraging them to really have that Spirit be a part of their lives So verse 22 and 23 are the ones that I really want to focus on because this is the, since we talked about lists, we love lists, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's like, I want you to understand when you're walking in the spirit, what it feels like. But here's the cool thing. If you look at the footnote for fruit on 22a, Mm -hmm. it's the mission of. I always looked at this like, okay, the fruits, this is what's going to come up. But if you switch that and you just say, this is the mission of the spirit. This is the goal of the spirit. And it... Any goal of the Spirit is the goal of God. So here's what Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ want us to feel. They want us to feel love and joy and peace, long-suffering. And don't we need that? (laughs) We need gentleness. (laughs) And don't we need gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness and temperance? And then if you actually switch over to um, chapter 6, verse 8, the Spirit Mm -hmm. also brings life everlasting. I love it. Right? And so he's, he's trying to show them when you have the Spirit in your life. This is how you recognize it. And Kim and I were talking about this earlier. And she said, have you felt love in your life? That's the spirit. Mm -hmm. Have you felt joy? That's the spirit. Have you had moments of peace? That's the spirit. And I love how Paul here is being a matchmaker. It's not about Paul. He's not saying, listen to me because I know, just trust me. He's taking himself out of the equation and saying, I want you to be my friend, the Holy Ghost. (laughs) This is his goal. And this is how he feels. Um, Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, following the Savior will not remove all of your trials. <laughs> and we all do a resounding darn it. <laughs> I know. We Wouldn't wish. that be great? However, it will remove the barriers between you and the help your Heavenly Father wants to give you. God will be with you. He will direct your steps. 
He will walk beside you and even carry you when your need is greatest. You will experience the sublime fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. And I love that that's what Paul wanted for them. And I'm hoping, I'd like to see, I'd like to believe that, you know, when they receive the letters, do you know if it like went to one person and they read it or if they made copies? I don't know. They had to make copies. Right. But just hearing that and the spirit testifying of him testifying of the spirit, I think what a great thing. And I love how in chapter six, verse nine, he says, let us not be weary in well-doing. And I used to read that as, okay, we're, we're back to the checklist. Let's, we need to stick with that. But what he's talking about is, let us not be weary in doing what we need to do to have the Spirit be in our lives, to be able to walk in the Spirit mm. and to have it walk in us. And doesn't it say in the footnote, abundant life or something? Yes. Like that? Yes, that's the abundant that is life. Wild. Well, I was thinking of what you had talked about, how when life gets difficult, how we should reach out for the Savior. Mm-hmm. But then with the Uchtdorf quote, it talked about the barriers that stop us from doing that. So I, sometimes I think we want to, but there's barriers, and the barriers are things that disqualify us from having the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Because that, without the power of the Spirit, we don't get those fruits, we sometimes don't have the ability to be long-suffering on our own. We can't last, but with the Spirit, suddenly we get a second breath, and it gives us strength to hold on when things are very difficult. So I do think that the barriers need to be lifted, which most often our unworthiness, our doubt, our anger, contention. Or not or not knowing. Not knowing. I think Ooh. sometimes I think sometimes we have to understand these are brand new members of the church. Mm-hmm. Whoa. And so um you know when we worked Mind with blown. the members I never think of that one. Well, <laughs> like when, we, when we were working with the members of course in Sao Paulo, the oh. one thing that I would say is new members of the church you were asking um you know a, about how they were feeling mm-hmm. in terms of Paul. And one of the things that I think they were feeling was why aren't you here with us? You know, why, yeah. why are you oh. gone? We need you to teach us. And I think sometimes, too, it's, it's that we don't know. And that's kind of what, what they we were doing. We, we, they didn't know. But along with that, they also are not understanding. And I think what Paul's trying to say, you don't need me. So one of the things that I find with new new members, they have a testimony of elder so and so or sister so and so. I was just so gonna and say so. that, that too. They, they get transferred, and I think that's the, probably why they get transferred as often as yeah, they do. Right, I think so too. Because uh-huh. it's not about them; it's about the gospel. And so I think Paul was trying to teach that same principle yeah. that this isn't about me. Instead, you've got to go and understand the spirit mm-hmm. in your life mm-hmm. to be able to make it forward. Because I'm in prison. You know, I'm probably not going to come back and see you again. So you have to be able to have that personal relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit and His Spirit to be able to move forward. Well, that makes me think about the Savior before He left. I mean, He's he's with them, and He's saying, I'm not always going to be with you, but here's the Comforter. And I think what a beautiful thing that the Holy Ghost is not the backup plan. But he's an equal part of the Godhead, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we need our Father in heaven. We need Jesus Christ, but we need the Holy Ghost to testify of them. And not only that, but it's the Holy Ghost that converts. We have the, we have the opportunity and privilege to say, here's my heart, but we don't change that heart. We can change our mind and we can give them our heart, but it's the Holy Ghost that goes in and converts. And I think that's what Paul wants for them. He wants them to remember. Do you remember how you felt when I was there? That was the Spirit, not me. 
I'm just an instrument. And you can have that even when I'm not there. And he was writing that to all the people because I think he knew in large part that he probably wasn't going to be going back. And what a sad thing to write. Hmm. But I just love the fact that we in our lives now um, have equal right and privilege to have that connection in our life, to have the spirit when we're, when we're alone and we're suffering, when we're happy and joyful, that we can have these fruits in our life, this love and joy and peace. Again, long-suffering. Such a good one. Such a good one. We could do a whole hour on what that means. Oh, definitely. And I was thinking temperance. That's my worst one. (laughs) So oftentimes we're talking about being overtaken in a fault. I mean, you were talking about how that's that's a problem. And I know, Kim, you were going to talk about... What can we do about that, too? All right. I'm going to read these two verses, if that's okay, with the footnotes as well, just so they can clarify. This is Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault or to be caught in sin or transgression, ye which are spiritual, restore or make straight your feet. Such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering or watching or guarding thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, in other words, have compassion, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so that was a lot in there. But I do love these verses because I do think that they are a great example of how Jesus Christ responds to sinners. And it does, I think, give us some questions to ponder here that I would love to ask you all. What do we feel Paul wants the Galatians to understand here, first of all? Does he, does he want us to have compassion and love and mercy? I think as powerful as Paul preaches, he is so loving and wants so much for them to understand that this is a gospel of love and mercy, that this is a loving Savior and Father in heaven who want us back someday. So, uh, but, but, but the law had been harsh in many ways, and many of the other laws that they have been exposed to have been as well. So it differs, doesn't it, the law of Christ? So what do you guys think about that? What, do you, what else do you think he wants us to understand? Anything? What are your thoughts? I think one thing, I was thinking a lot about this, these verses, specifically when I think of children mm. and how often they are overtaken in a fault. And how do we handle that? As, you know, just as a mom, what do I do when I have a child that has purposefully done something wrong? And I'm not talking an accident because I think that's a completely different mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, they purposefully, you told them not to do something, and they did it anyway. Like like knocking a golf ball through the kitchen window. Okay. Don't <laughs> hit golf balls towards the house. And it's guess okay. what? okay. I'm going to hit right inside the garage. And they hit right. And, and, then, and you and told the them a million then. times they can only go the other direction towards the bluff. So how are we going to respond? And I think, yeah, and I, I know it goes With back to long suffering. And love. <laughs> long suffering. And and so I do think that we get a an example here mm-hmm. when we're overtaken in a fault. How does the Savior deal with that? Because these are saints that he's talking to who right. supposedly have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they're overtaken in a fault, I'm sure some of them are like, okay, I'm done. You know, yeah, I did something wrong. There's no way the Lord is going to have me back. And and some of us feel that same way. And so I think he's trying to teach them that even if you're overtaken in a fault, mm-hmm. the Lord wants you back. Yes. yes. Which is army. different than stoning people. Definitely. Which was the old law. Right. Which is the old law. <laughs> A little yeah. bit different. So we have to... <laughs> it's very different, right? 
Oh, yes. Well, I and I agree with all that. And, and President Oaks, he gave a talk, well, it was a devotional some time ago, and he made the distinction between mistakes and sinning. Right. One is intentional, one is accidental. But um, And there are different ways to respond to those things, for sure. Another question I have is, what can, how can we restore others to Christ without falling into temptation with them? That can be a trick sometimes, I think, especially for kids who want to be good influence on certain friends, um, or us as well, if we go too far in the other direction to try to pull someone out of something, there is a danger that if we're not watching and guarding ourselves, we could fall into temptation as well. So that is something to be mindful of. And I think the spirit, again, is is key to that, making sure you can feel the spirit always. Well, I love that. the analogy of the tree um, with Lehigh in the tree, because right. he calls to his sons, but he never leaves the tree. Right. So or just never see. leave the tree. Mm. So you can call really loud, but yeah. never leave the tree. And don't let go of the rod until you get there. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a right. big fan of personal boundaries, too. I've seen a lot of people leave the tree, start to change what they think about the tree or even be angry at the tree right. because other people don't want to be there. Um, and I've seen people enter into relationships that aren't really healthy and they want to help the person. They want to save the person. Oh. And and it's just not good for them. And I think one of the hardest things for us to do, because it says, you know, love one another bear one another's burdens. But if someone is really decided to pull away from things that are good, I think having personal boundaries, and I can't say what they are because it's different, um, you know, for everyone. But yeah, but, (laughs) but sometimes when we pray, the spirit might say, hold on to the tree 